0: Please sit down. You won't be surprised to know that I've been doing a bit of a survey about what people think makes a good sermon. There seems to be two schools of thought, really. One is is from general congregations, and the other is amongst Baptist ministers. The The first school of thought amongst the congregations is a sermon, a good sermon should have a strong start and a strong finish, and they should be as close together as possible. (laughs) The thought amongst Baptist ministers, not only our own, and I did speak to the odd C of E person as well, but they tend to be a bit shorter, but we won't go there. Um, Baptist ministers say, you should have a whole series of interconnecting points, as many as possible, actually, and if possible, they should all begin with the same letter. (laughs) So, I have six points, alliterated, oh yes, they all begin with D, but with reference to the first point, they're all very short. Okay. John the Baptist, his life was all about Jesus and not about him, and there's kind of been a theme developing, which I hope you've picked up. John was chosen to prepare the way for Jesus, and his role was prophesied in in the Old Testament. And in, in, in Isaiah, it says, "A voice of one calling in the desert: Prepare the way for the Lord, and make straight in the wilderness a highway of our God." So right back then, it was prophesied that Jesus would become, John would be coming to make way for Jesus. A few years ago, I took my then 16-year-old goddaughter, Sarah, Sarah Lathwaite, to see Liberty X at the Regent. Those of you who knew Sarah, knew Sarah, would know that she really enjoyed a good bop, and so do I, so it was ideal for us to go for a night out there, down at the Regents here. Liberty X. For those blank faces amongst you, I can see a few. Liberty, Liberty X are a sort of teeny boppery band for young teenagers, uh, ideal for a teenage disco, uh, or at least they were then. I haven't heard much of them recently but Um, so it was an ideal night out for Sarah and I And, and sure enough we had a great time. We did. I'm sure it would have been a good evening if we'd just arrived at the Regent, sat down and Liberty X had come on and done their stuff. However what made it a great evening was the warm up act. What the warm-up act did was set the place on fire, because after all, Sarah had come from a long day at college, I'd come from a long day at work, you know, the place was full of of people like us who who came, although we'd been looking forward to it, we were pretty worn out and sat down. But the warm-up act really got us going. Before long, the place was pumping with energy, before there was any sign of Liberty X, let me tell you. We, they had the whole place singing and dancing, so that when Liberty X came on, we were, the place was already in full swing. But you know, when Sarah and I looked back at that evening, the Warmer Pact didn't get a mention. We didn't even know what they were called. We just talked about what a great time we'd had at the Liberty Act Liberty, Act, Liberty X concert. The Warmer Pact had done its job. John the Baptist was the Warmer Pact for Jesus. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of John the Baptist? What do you think he looked like? In those old films, and in all those illustrated children's Bibles that I've seen, he's always got long hair, he's always disheveled, he always looks like a wild man. His his mouth's always open and he's shouting his message. Well. I've been thinking a lot about John the Baptist just recently, you won't be surprised to know. And over the past few years, I've developed a very clear image of him in my head, and this is it. He's a sandwich board man. You see, the thing about a sandwich board man is that you don't see him, do you? You don't see the man, you only see what's on the board. It's his job to get you to take notice of what it says on its board. And if you see them round Ipswich, it's usually the Moscow theatres coming to Price Church Park or there's a new sandwich shop opening, isn't it? John's job was to point the way to Jesus and his life was all about Jesus. But that was John's job. What does that mean for us today? Well, we do need to live by the same maxim as John. He must become greater. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. We know this because it's all over the Bible. I mean, we know it because we know it, don't we? Because we know Jesus working in our lives, and he shows us and teaches us that we need to be more like him. But we also know it if we look in, in, in scriptures and we see that Paul writes, doesn't he, in Philippians 1, verse 20 to 21, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. And in 2 Corinthians... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. the old is gone, the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5:17. So our lives need to be all about Jesus, too. He must become greater. I must become less. So we've seen God chose John to, to make way for Jesus. His life was all about Jesus. What can we learn about the type of man he was that might help us to, to, to teach us in our lives? to do it better. So let's look at some of the key facts about John's life. John was different. We know that John lived most of his life in the wilderness and since he was, never, since he was a Nazarite, he never cut his hair. That was all part of the deal. And Mark tells us, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his, his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. He must have had a, a bit of a wild reputation because even Jesus said of him, John came neither eating or drinking and they say he has a demon. He was certainly different, wasn't he? So this got me thinking about occasions where we might, be, we might see people who are different today. And a few years back now in Hollywood, there was a guy called Arthur Blessett. He took down off the wall a four-meter-long wooden cross from the wall, he took it down and carried it on foot around the world because his life, he was trying to make his, to demonstrate that his life was all about Jesus. Since then, since he took it off the wall, he's carried it through, I've got to read this, 277 countries, islands, and territories. He has covered 32,580 miles by foot, was once in front of a firing squad and was arrested 24 times. Quite a journey. He crossed 49 countries in a state of war and walked through Poland with 70,000 other people. Blessed is in the Guinness Book of Records for his for the longest journey on foot, by foot, in the world. So what he did was a powerful witness to many thousands of people. And I saw him myself, I remember, in the Midlands uh, a, while, a few years back now. And I remember that his witness spoke powerfully into my life ...then, and I still remember it very clearly today. So I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is... ...how willing are you to be different for Jesus? I guess not many of us will be asked to do something as major... ...as carry a four-metre-high cross around the world. But are you willing to do something that makes you stand out from the crowd... ...in order to point to Jesus? Are you willing to be the only one who maybe, I don't know... ...doesn't swear, doesn't gossip about others doesn't drink too much, doesn't climb the career ladder at all costs. What are you willing to do to be different for Jesus? Okay. Second D, John declared the truth about God. John challenged the crowds and said they had dark hearts and were a brood of vipers in Luke 3 verse 7. He took a personal risk in doing this. You can imagine it wouldn't be popular, would it? But he was willing to act in this way because what mattered to him was Jesus and his life was all about Jesus. He, went, he preached a big, bold message of repentance which was not popular. And then he, 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 he went on to challenge Herod about, sleep, about Herod sleeping with his brother's wife and all the other evil things he had done. And as a consequence, Herod locked him up in prison. We see that in Luke 3, verses 19 and 20. Nadia Awida, a Christian checkout worker for British Airways, had a shock when she arrived at work last autumn one day. And she was told that she could no longer wear the silver cross around her neck over her uniform. Now, Nadia could, of course, taken the, quietly have taken the cross off from round her neck and slipped it in a pocket, and none of us would ever known any different. But she didn't. <laughs> she, removed, she refused to, move, to remove the cross, and as a, resu- as a result, she had to go home on um, enforced leave. Leave in inverted commas. This was because BA had changed the rules, and they said that you couldn't. It was no longer it was no longer allowed to wear a cross. Now. British Airways offered her another quiet way out after that. They said, okay, we won't make a fuss. We'll give you this other job where you won't have to wear a uniform, love. And then you can wear your cross as much as you like. Nadia again could have said, Oh, okay then, and gone quietly. She didn't. She said, no, I'd like my original job back, please, with my uniform and with my cross. That was a really difficult thing to do, and she took, she went further and took action against British Airways. And after a long battle and lots of press coverage and financial hardship, which she couldn't, she couldn't afford, it was, it was difficult for her, Nadia won the case and British Airways have now changed their rules and they allow their staff to wear a cross over the uniform. Nadia said, after all this, she said, It is important to wear the cross, to express my faith, so that others will know that Jesus loves him. I think she paid quite a high price for being willing to declare the truth about God. Would you be willing to do that? I wonder if I would. Would you be willing to declare, to speak out about Jesus as a a person, at at personal risk, maybe of embarrassment or loss of faith for Jesus? Would you do that? John also demonstrated that his life was all about Jesus. He did this by putting himself aside. He encouraged his followers to to follow Jesus instead of him. Let's look at the position he was speaking from. If he was around today, people would certainly be talking up his career. I'm sure he'd have an agent for a start. He'd be invited to those huge, big, those big, Christian conferences across the world, you know, like Soul Survivor that we go to, and um, Hillsongs Australia and Spring Harvest and all those big Christian events, I'm sure. There'd be brochures describing his ministry, (laughs) well-travelled, gifted speaker, huge congregations, hundreds baptised, a big star, and not only that, he was authenticated by Old Testament prophecy, as we have seen. Yet when John heard of competition the new guy in town, over the river, Jesus, baptising people, he didn't hesitate to put himself aside completely and encouraged his followers to follow Jesus instead. I am not the Christ, he said, but I'm sent ahead, ahead of him. And John says of Jesus later, he is, the one who comes, um, he is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he, has, he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. This wasn't some half-hearted acknowledgement that another important speaker and baptizer was on the scene. No, he speaks of his own insignificance in comparison with Jesus. His role is only to point to Jesus and to prepare the way for him. How does your life demonstrate that it's all about Jesus? Don't we care too much, a bit too much, about our position? Are we taken up with establishing our own reputation amongst others? Or are we willing to say, he must become greater and I must become less? So, what have we said? We've said John was different, he was a bit of a wild man. John declared the truth about God, he was willing to say unpopular things because he was all about Jesus. John demonstrated that his life was all about Jesus by sweeping himself aside when Jesus came on the scene. John was also very determined So with the picture we're building of John here, we can see that through his dress, his lifestyle, his self-sacrifice, the whole thing adds up to determination, I think, doesn't it? John was determined that his life should be all about Jesus, and that was the whole focus of his life. We get a glimpse of this in Luke 1, onwards, when his father Zechariah prophesied, And my child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then in verse 80, the child grew and became strong in spirit. My brother Dave is a lorry driver for Walker's Crisps. He drives those enormous articulated lorries that you see steaming around the M25. But there's something about him in this role that sets him apart. You'll see why. He is determined. You may know about the spy in the cab, the tachometer, which uh, records every detail of a lorry's journey across the country. It measures far more than speed and working time, I can tell you. I know a little bit about this. It also logs how heavy the driver has is on his right foot. It, it, it measures whether the engine revs are too high, how much diesel fuel is used, and Walkers don't only look at the tachometer, they also look more broadly at the behaviour of their drivers, how smart they are, how, how, how much sick leave they have, whether their timekeeping is any good, and they're very fussy about health and safety regulations. I know he has to be very careful how, that he holds on to the metal rail when he climbs out of the cab, because if anyone catches him, anyone sees him not holding on correctly when he climbs out of his cab, he'll have points docked. So it's a very detailed He's under very detailed scrutiny. Now, Walker's Crisps, as I say, take all this stuff very seriously. And they offer various awards. There's regional awards, local awards, quarterly awards. But the big prize is the national annual Walker's Top Driver Award. Now, Dave, my brother, is determined, and he is really focused on this award. And in the sphere sphere of his working life, His day is all about getting full marks for his driving. Every moment of the day, he is conscious of his driving record. He drives hundreds of miles a week, and everything is done with his prize in mind. He doesn't take holiday, if it means points will be lost. He will travel home late or stay away, rather than be tempted to speed or even to over-rev the engine. His working life is totally focused on his determination to be the best driver he can be. Everything in John the Baptist's life was focused on being all he could be about Jesus, being totally about Jesus. How determined are you to live your life for Jesus? To what lengths will you go to to ensure that your life, everything you do, do you put yourself under scrutiny, the kind of scrutiny Dave's under maybe, about everything you do? to say my life is all about Jesus. I must tell you that on Wednesday, I had a call from my brother Dave to tell me that actually he's just won the National Annual Walker's Top Driver Award. (laughs) There was something else John did that I suppose with the picture we've been building might surprise us a little. John doubted. I find quite some solace in this myself, but John doubted. When he was in prison, John sent a message to Jesus saying, "Are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else?" This is surprising, really, when you think what John had experienced and what he'd seen, because in Matthew eleven verses two and three, we see no in John. In John, we see that God had said to John. You'll know when the one who is to come is here, because you will see the heavens open and the, a dove landing, the Holy Spirit coming on him like a dove. And John had seen that, and yet still he sent a message to Jesus saying, "Is it really you, or do we need to look for something, someone else?" Now it seems to me that this was not a case, a fundamental case of, "Oh no, I was wrong all along," typed out. I kind of feel it was more of a, can this really be true, sort of level. And God understands that in us. And some, Because after all, some of the stuff we believe is awesome, isn't it? Some of the stuff we believe about our God is amazing. And it's only fathomable through the work of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be honest about any doubts we have, to take them to him. In an attitude of, Lord, I believe in you, but help my unbelief. John was a man who chose to be obedient to God and to follow his calling. He wasn't God. And it's heartening to discover that in spite of what he'd seen and experienced, John still had to ask the question, Is it really you? Notice that Jesus didn't go back to John and say, John, you must be kidding, what are you talking about? After all you've seen, how dare you question me? No, he didn't. He said to the people, he said to the people go back and report to John what you hear and see the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cured etc and then a few verses later in verse 11 he says among Jesus says of John among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist so Jesus understood what John was saying he understood where he was coming from and understood his doubt and I wonder I ask myself this question too. How do we face up to doubt? Are we willing to admit it, discuss it, own up to it? Do we take it to Jesus and ask him to help us out with it? Or do we press it down, deny it, let it fester, not dare dare admit it to anyone else? Because John did something about his... The last thing John did was John died. John paid the ultimate price to gain the ultimate prize. So we can see that living a life that's all about Jesus is not by any means a guarantee of a trouble-free life. Things got very sticky for John, didn't they? As we've seen, John fell out with Herod and was thrown into prison. And later, he he was beheaded and his head brought in on a platter. A grisly end indeed. And in some senses, of course, John had died long before. He'd died to himself. He was a Nazarite, which meant he was totally committed to God from from birth. He had died to selfish ambition, died to his reputation, died in order to gain eternal life. You know what I'm going to ask you, don't you? How far are you willing to go in a life that's all about Jesus? How far are you willing to die to self? and even to pay the ultimate price, a price which is still demanded of Christians in some parts of the world today. So how can we make Jesus number one in our lives? The first step is to see clearly, from the, as we see clearly from the example of John, is the need to acknowledge Jesus for who he is. John, a mere mortal, recognised who Jesus was, the Messiah, and then took his rightful position in comparison. And at the start of this service today, we sang and we worshipped God, didn't we? And, we? and the youth band sang, How Great Is Our God? And we went on to worship him further, singing about his creation, his love for us, his power at work in our lives. And once we get the difference between us and Jesus in perspective and grasp the reality of what he did for us, how can our life not be all about Jesus? This is you and me. We're all sandwich board men and women, aren't we? Because when people look at us, they see what's important to us in our lives, what makes us tick. John the Baptist sandwich board said, Jesus, in big, bold letters. What does it say on yours? And what does it say on mine, I wonder? I suppose it could say, not on mine, but it could say on some of yours, successful professional, walker's best driver, perhaps. <clears throat> Mum, important church leader, church deacon, fine musician. Of course, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, is there? Except when they speak louder than Jesus in our lives. John showed it can be done. He must become greater. I must become less.